0: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast about our Queer Berlin walking tour. Um, Before I dive right in, I'm going to introduce myself a little bit. My name is Judy, Judy Fisher and I'm a sophomore at Colorado College. I'm a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. I'm from Wagner, Oklahoma, and I'm very involved with the Native American Student Union at Colorado College, also known as CC. I came to CC partially because of the Feminist and Gender Studies department, so it's probably no surprise that I'm a Feminist and Gender Studies major and a Race, Ethnicity and Migration Studies minor. I'm a first generation student and this was my first time abroad and my first time staying in a really big city, so while it was intimidating at times, I'm really happy to have the opportunity to learn outside of an extremely American context and outside of a strict classroom setting. So, I was interested in podcasting for this Queer Berlin walking tour because, as a woman of color, my high school education in Oklahoma had never focused on the persecution of queer people at all, and even less so when considering um, huge world events like the Holocaust. Um, and when there is discussion of the persecution of homosexual people, queer people, it's a side note, and the focus is on the persecution of usually white, cisgender, gay men, unless you look deeper. Um, And this is not unique to my hometown, home state, high school, whatever, but it's a common experience um, that these narratives are left out. Um, I was also interested in this tour because I have done a little research and taken a few courses that discuss queer communities and specific places and spaces. And I'm just interested in learning about the intricacies of gay communities in Berlin when considering gay tourism and gentrification. Um, Because I have seen Berlin being um, painted as a safe haven for gay people and the queer capital of Europe. And while this is true, um, just how this attracts a certain kind of audience and how that affects the community that is already here. Um, How these kind of portrayals might glaze over the history of persecution in Berlin. Um, Or even how these narratives center white male cisgender voices without considering transphobia, racialized queerphobia, misogyny, etc. um, another reason I'm now excited has to do with a reading that we did called um, The Pink Triangle and Political Consciousness, Gays, Lesbians, and the Memory of Nazi Persecution by Eric N. Jensen. I, I had heard about the pink triangle as a symbol identifying homosexuals during the Holocaust, just like the Star of David identified Jewish people, but that's really my basic understanding before doing this reading, so I'm really excited in learning more. Um, about the reclamation of the symbol by gay communities. Um, and I'm, I'm just really interested in learning about other forms of resistance that uh, the queer community here in Berlin has used, um, considering their very vibrant queer music scene, the punk music scene. Um, and I'm also interested in thinking about like the commodification of this music and scene and appropriation um, Yeah, and there's like really a lot that I could say that I'm excited about learning on this tour, but then this podcast would be like 10 hours and no one would probably listen to that. So I'm going to go ahead and get into introducing the session. So this tour was led by our wonderful tour guide, Jared Poole, through the Critical Tours Traveling Company on our second Thursday here in Berlin, December 7, 2017, and it lasted from 9.30 a.m. until around 12.30 p.m. The mission of the Critical Tours Travel Company, as stated on the Critical Tours Facebook page, is to, quote, create an inclusive space where marginalization and the politics of exclusion are not tolerated and where privilege and power are actively deconstructed to facilitate understanding, compassion, and solidarity, end quote. And this mission was clearly met with our tour. On this tour, we visited a few gay neighborhoods in Berlin, such as Schoneberg, learning about what Jared referred to as proto-queer knowledge, focusing on the vibrancy and tolerance of what Berlin's queer scene of Berlin's queer scene and how this changed under Nazi rule. We discussed such figures as Marlene Dietrich, Josephine Baker, Christopher Isherwood, and Magnus Hirschfeld. This tour allowed for a deeper understanding of the role queer or homosexual individuals played in impacting history in Berlin. For example, the lack of identity on Stumbling Stones, in order for people to confront the humanity of the individual without judgment, came about due to the refusal of some groups to be identified with homosexuals. And another example would be the timeline of the book burning, which began with the burning of the Institute for Sexual Sciences Library, a place where trans people in particular could find assistance even before the actual May 10th book burning occurred. This section of our tour very much focused on the phrase, beaten to death, silenced to death, beaten by Nazis and police, and silenced in our history. We then visited the neighborhood of Kreuzberg, where we were able to get a better look inside the life of queer individuals in contemporary Berlin. The focus on our visit here was very much based on the idea that no one flees without a reason and highlights the importance of support and tolerance in the continuity of such a conglomeration of identities immigrants, refugees, queer individuals, disabled people, and so on. We were able to discuss the role of xenophobia, racism, colonialism, and other forms of oppression in displacing and marginalizing communities here, but we were more focused on the way these people are able to resist through empowerment and community support. The clip that I'm about to include begins with Jared talking about Marlene Dietrich and other women in their presence in Berlin's queer community in the 1920s, in club culture and just presence within the community. Um, They discussed forms of empowerment and resistance to Nazi persecution with a focus on women and their marginalization considering racism and the invisibility of women homosexuals even in progressive queer Berlin.
1: Uh, Marlena Dietrich always had a suitcase in Berlin, she said. Uh, She loved this city, she did not like what the Nazis had done to it. Berliners, as a matter of pride, will sometimes point out to you, those in the historical know, that the Nazis referred to Berlin as the garbage dump of the world. (laughs) That's something to be proud of, definitely, because if the Nazis called you the garbage dump, you were probably doing something correctly. Uh, Marlene Dietrich was a part of the community of Berlin that Hitler so hated, uh, this city was referred to as the sapphic capital of the world during the 1920s. Die Freunden magazine, the girlfriend magazine, run by sometimes club owner Lo Tahan. She ran a club called the Oscar Wilde, uh, a couple of other venues. She helped to represent female artists in the city as well. Um, uh, uh, the Freunden magazine, she had set up as a kind of first sort of uh, compass, uh, if you will, for folks who were coming from other cities that wanted to explore the communities in Berlin and people that were here that were more shut in and not capable of sort of discovering for themselves. She wanted to make the city more accessible. Um, There were 68 lesbian bars detailed in DeFoynden magazine. Can you think of one back where you live today? But there were also four women's hockey teams in there and all sorts of other activities, too. So it wasn't just about club culture, but it was about presence in the community as well. Uh, At that time, there would have been listings for all the big clubs in the evenings, the things that were going to happen. This one was called El Dorado. There were five of these, I said. There were four uh, uh, clones. I mean, businesses that weren't exactly the original businesses, copyright and trademark laws not being back then what they are today, they were able to get away with this. This Eldorado was the original one, and they really struggled to kind of indicate this to people who were trying to find it, so eventually they adopted the slogan, hier ist richtig, which means here is the right one, It's one way to interpret that, but more colloquially most Germans would refer to that uh, uh, translation as, here nothing is wrong, or here everything goes. Hier ist richtig, here everything is righteous, here everything is right. Um, the El Dorado was a dance review cabaret-type theater. Cabarets, of course, form of political satire. Uh, there was a review act, kind of like a cabaret theater, called the Hitler Girls, that would play here from time to time. The Nazis stupidly believed that they were a celebration of Nazism <laughs> until a Nazi party member, who was not amongst the homosexualist community, went to one of the gigs and witnessed otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that was when the El Dorado would be shot. But prior to that, the El Dorado would see Marlene Dietrich perform. Marlena Dietrich uh, loved this city. Uh, It was here that she felt free to hold her girlfriend's hands without abuse in the streets. I think I mentioned this as well in the email about Josephine Baker, which is a pretty phenomenal thing. Josephine Baker, uh, prior to 1927, was definitely the victim, even here in Berlin, of various prejudices and stereotypes. Uh, people would write about her uh, and her Africanness as a positive quality of the work that she did. They would talk about her jungle nature and things of this sort. These sorts of positive stereotypes are oftentimes stomached, I would say, by naive artists who aren't so much into the theory side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, things changed very rapidly beginning in 1929.
0: This next clip features Jared highlighting the contemporary felt experiences of people within the queer community and the integration of marginalized communities in this space. They include both the positive and negative sides of living within this community.
1: All sorts of politics, um, specifically politics involving um, people being taken advantage of in their rental agreements and that's made them very popular in this community. This is one of the few places that I've ever been in the entire world where I can see folks like us sitting alongside people from completely different communities without any animosity whatsoever. I think the first time that I came here I experienced somebody wearing a uh, full body covering sitting next to a pink haired punk. And they were collaborating on political projects together. And that's the kind of sort of solidarity that is really typical for me of this district in town. Now, I've given you kind of the positive image of everything that happens here. Obviously, there's a negative side to things as well. You can think about mental health crises, you can think about um, disenfranchisement and how that leads to certain people being pushed even further under than they might be otherwise, uh, coming from disadvantaged backgrounds and families. Um, health is something that's definitely appreciated. Uh, there's not a lot of pride around these issues, <coughs> so. You have things like Cafe Cote that I showed you before. Here at Zoo Block, they have once a week on Tuesdays um, a social welfare benefit scheme where if you come in on Tuesday they'll help you figure out how to gain the social welfare system so that you're not spending the majority of your time applying to call center jobs, which is usually what you need to do to justify getting any welfare. There. On Tuesdays they have a program called Parks of Roller. Parks Fear is the name of the program for social welfare. On Tuesdays people can come here, they can get free haircuts, they can figure out how to find a job that actually makes sense for them. Um, and all while getting legal help too. Um, It's very important to have legal help in Germany. I can only explain this by saying sometimes I get letters in the mail from the tax offices or from the immigration office and I'll show them to my German roommates and my roommates tell me, I can't tell if you are supposed to or not supposed to do this thing that they're talking about. That's how obtuse German legal, uh, legal language can be. You can imagine how much worse it is for somebody who's not even close to Florence, uh that comes to live here. For a lot of that first generation that didn't have any opportunities for German training, Um, And so the Hudson World Programme on Tuesdays, they have set up legal advice, a solicitor comes in, people can help each other out, it's a very, very kind of solidarity effort sort of thing. Um, They'll also do gay hana parties here from time to time, they have a rock and rolly party where people with wheelchairs uh, are the only people allowed in, with the occasional plus one non wheelchair guest, Uh, uh, Berghain, which is one of the more important clubs in Berlin, in a cultural center, I also wrote about in the email. That's the only people that actually get to cut the line. But talking to my friends with wheelchairs, it's a fairly different experience to dance crotch level versus eye level with everybody else. So this rock and roll party has been pretty important too. And right across the street, a sort of related effort. You see that little weird shack? That's occupied space. And that is for people in particular who are having rental issues. So all in this square, we've got a place where you can find solicitor information for free on immigration, on social welfare, and on rental agreements. And it's all on offer for free, uh, with information available in multiple languages. This is what has made the queer community, I think, in my opinion, most relevant here in Queensborough. Why it continues to exist, and why it's as integrated as it is. Because there has always been in this community a sort of sense of nobody flees without a reason. Um, I think that Zoo is one of the nicer places to find more laid-back activities in the evenings as well. Um, the time that RuPaul's Drag Race is on, for example, they'll have RuPaul's Drag Race screened here and then they'll have a live drag show afterwards. Oh. And as common as the Bearded Marys are in Berlin, uh, the other side of things is even more common today. Um, people who identify as women or femme dragging as men is something that's really booming and exploding in Berlin right now. Has anybody heard of uh, voguing? as a sort of dance style, a couple of girls from Brooklyn who were sick of gentrification pushing them further and further out to the outskirts of New York finally decided to move here to Berlin and jump-started the voguing movement here in Berlin. This happened about two years ago. Uh, They offered their first courses, you could join a house, it was a very, very uh, intimate sort of experience then, but now they have international voguing competitions here.
0: So, as a final little personal reflection before I begin having a discussion with a few of my classmates, um, I just want to talk about a few things that really impacted my personal learning. Um, first of all, I was really able to think about how outsiders and Americans in particular can come into certain spaces and develop or even come in with a savior complex, or have some idea that they know more about the workings of the community than the people who are actually a part of it. I myself came in with a very critical view of gay tourism and while I learned that there's definitely critiques and fears about how these communities are affected by gay tourism and gentrification specifically coming from within the communities, they also have a better understanding of how it is a vital part of their community and the way that they live today. This was definitely a learning moment for me to step back and acknowledge the privileged role I inhabit as an American tourist traveling to other marginalized communities to learn from. I think I also better understand the role of reciprocity in engaging engaging with these communities as opposed to just coming in, consuming knowledge, and leaving them with nothing. There, there really has to be a give-and-take or else the exchange is truly colonial um, and it really makes you question, like, what is this work for? So I'd like to think of this podcast as a way for me to give back to this community. Um, another thing that this tour has made me problematize was how much people, including even myself, as a queer woman of color, Um, At times, just expect to see the oppression, sadness, tragedy, violence perpetuated against queer people, particularly queer people of color and other marginalized groups. So, I think hearing a narrative that really centers the role of empowerment, solidarity, and community support in Berlin's queer community in the past and present is really important in painting queer people and other marginalized groups as full human beings who do face persecution but are not necessarily defined by it. They can create, we were able to see in the tour (laughs) that they can create their own subjectivity. And this means while acknowledging the role of heterosexism, racism, misogyny, transphobia, and so on, and how these other forms, and how other forms of oppression work against people, but also how they can just be happy and joyful. Um, They do not always have to be cast as sad, oppressed people with no identity outside of their oppression because they clearly have an identity within their community. Okay, Um, I'm here with Elsa and Dylan, and we're going to have a little discussion. I guess I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves real quick. Um,
2: I'm Dylan Compton. I'm a junior. I'm a religion and international affairs major and a Chinese language minor.
3: I'm Elsa. I'm from Bainbridge. I'm an OBE biology major and a creative writing minor, and I am a junior at
0: Okay, so to begin, I'm just going to start asking a few questions. Um, consider the use of homosexual, gay, queer, transvestite in history and on our tour. Um, how can language be exclusionary or limit the continuation of political consciousness for marginalized people in the creation of social movements um, and how can language limit what we remember in history?
3: I mean just from what stuck out me language on the tour was that the bookstore we looked at, Prince Eisenhower, like had queer on it and how that Jared really pointed that out as like an interesting, like that it was such a... Like an old symbol of like the gay or queer movement in Berlin, and that now it had queer on it was actually a big deal for mm-hmm. its acknowledgement of like queer as a more a larger like blanket term for like more accepting of the T Q I movement than just gay or I guess the movement Schwalz, which is the name of the museum, which is like very deeply like mm-hmm. gay men. So I felt like that was a good step forward, but I feel like even that it was significant that it was like wow, queer, just like out here in open that was very unusual, it seemed
2: like, which is interesting. Yeah, on that note I thought it was really interesting that like they were using queer but were also concerned like he had some concerns about it alienating like mm-hmm. the older generation yeah. and especially the older gay men who yeah. have a history of that being used towards them in a derogatory way. to kind of like walking a balance of using inclusive language that's dissimilar from the older language, but also not alienating people that are using. When
0: no, we said that people would ask, like, don't you think homosexual ex- is exclusionary for, like, mm. that type of memorial, but, like, that's really the only term that they had used Mm -hmm. and that's like people Mm -hmm. just called themselves that uh, because they didn't have an idea of like bisexual Mm -hmm. or even just talking about uh, the word transvestite like how we now talk about um, people who might have identified as transvestite as like transgender Mm -hmm. and things like that and I just thought it was really interesting thinking about like the creation of social movements and how like if there's not a term that can like you can identify with or that really like places Mm. you like how hard it is to like start thinking about that in like a broader concept like as a bigger community. Yeah, it's like
3: where do you fit into the movement if you feel like you're not represented in it. Yeah. And I feel like yeah, homosexuals definitely used a lot even in the articles that we read and I feel like Mm. it's used a lot less in the US. I feel like Mm. it's like Almost only in like a scientific context, and even then it's very like populistic. And this is just, like historically term that was be like pathologizing. Yeah. yeah. And now it's used a lot more in Germany. And it is just yeah. like yeah. it's part of the history. but so then like when do you like move on from the mm-hmm. past of the movement and like move into different spaces to then like isolating older generations? I feel like it's hard to know like what terms are useful and important and then what terms are just like holding on to things
2: mm-hmm.
0: that are now problematic. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah.
2: like we, or like, or may trying to make like previous people's self-identification like mm-hmm. acceptable in our framework. Yeah. Because I know at one point when he was talking about like the night for like drag queens and tourists, he said mm-hmm. like, oh, that's where the Chinese and transvestites go, mm-hmm. which is like something that it's like the initial reaction is like wanting mm-hmm. to distance yourself or like, why are you like? Yeah. yeah. But then. Or, like, even to say, like, to use transvestite like, for, yeah. like, drag queens who may have identified as homosexual men, but maybe yeah. they didn't, or, you know, it's like a tricky thing to, like, know what they, would think yeah. how they were thinking. Yeah. It makes
0: me think of the term, I can't think of it right now, but, like, trying to put, like, a contemporary word onto, like, a historical context and mm-hmm. how, like, you can't do that because it's, yeah. like, it's not the same context at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also kind of makes me think about, um, like, using terms like homosexuals and things in the past, like, just our conversations about women and mm-hmm. how, like, lesbian women were just invisible yeah. in that kind so of period. Yeah.
3: And that was just interesting, like, I feel like we didn't even hear the term lesbian very much on the tour. Mm-hmm. Where, and I just feel like maybe it's just been so erased in the city, but it is interesting how, like, homosexuals use, but, like, I feel like homosexuals doesn't reference women very. No. I mean, maybe it does, but I feel like in the context that we've had it, it's mainly been about them. Um,
0: Asking about, like, different yeah. negative terms that they use for lesbian, and it, he, or they, j- Jared just said that, like, um, like people, like, it wasn't even a mindset that women could be Also, mm-hmm. So, like, just that exclusion completely, that it was just, like... It's more like they were, like, viewed as, like,
3: kind of, like radical women. Like, he talked yes. about Anita Beva, which was the dancer that, like, kind of played with gender a lot more and, like, did naked dances and I looked her up and, like, she very much, like, was just viewed as kind of, like, not normal but she wasn't, It did, like, they didn't take her seriously. Mm-hmm. It was more like it was, like, a game or, like, a show or, like, a part of her, like, popular personality rather than, like, an actual, like, sexuality or choice, mm-hmm. which is, like, problematic in its own way 'cause it's like it's like they don't even didn't have a choice to be validated even if it would have been coming with a lot of prejudice. Like they didn't even have that option.
0: But it's it's, it's, it's kinda of similar to what they were saying um, when they thought of like transvestites as like or um, I guess yeah transvestites as like a scientific oddity more than like a gender sexual like yeah. Like, Remember he, like yeah. they
3: said, it was like an illness, yeah. rather than like or like a psychol, like a mental illness, rather than like a sexual choice.
2: Yeah. Which was also interesting. Like not to get off track, but the way in which that like, oh, it's it's something medical, mm-hmm. made it acceptable or yeah. made it not immoral mm-hmm. in the way that they were treating the rest of the mm-hmm. community, like the queer community, and like, like I could see, like later on in America, even like similarities there. Like, yeah. oh, it's a medical thing, like, oh, it's Yeah,
3: they can't help it, but then it's also like, oh, it's just yeah. like a hard, complex thing because it's like, in some ways it gives them advantages, but then sometimes that just doesn't validate any part of their existence, and it's like, oh, they're just thick, and like, it just doesn't give them any choice in the matter,
2: yeah,
3: or you like, autonomous, like, being. So I think that autonomy was the same thing as far as, like, how they were
2: talking about lesbians, like, mm-hmm. they had, like, their view of women women had so little agency mm-hmm. that it's like they could choose to do anything like, yeah they can't, like, they, they can't they can't be gay like right. that's just not yeah. even a possibility
3: at that time yeah.
0: okay i guess we'll move on to the next question um so kind of comparing the history of the book burning and stumbling stumbling stones that we learned during the jewish perspective walking tour and then our queer walking tour um i was just wondering how you both thought the perspective tends to change the narrative of the same historical event or occurrences. Mm
3: -hmm. I feel like it's a book burning Magnus Hirschfeld's, like, Sexualology Institute and how that was burned by people mainly because of, like, homophobia, even before, like, it wasn't burned by the Nazis, it was burned by students, and I felt like that was such an interesting, like, important input that we didn't get, even going to, like, the memorial on it, and I just feel like that Takes a lot of like the guilt and kind of takes it away from the Nazis and puts it more like this was involved in so many other issues. It wasn't just like the Nazis being hateful of just the Jews or just Jewish writers. It was like involved with like Germans and and so many other groups yeah. of people. So I like, he definitely complicated that story yeah. in like a really good way.
2: Yeah, like one of our readings for this week talks about how like there's like the Germans like the white Germans had this like new beginning after the fall of the Third Reich mm-hmm. where they kind of like completely separated themselves from what was happening before. You know they were completely complicit like in some ways or, I mean, I feel like we sometimes talk about it like, oh, the Nazi regime like took over Germany and then everything fell and they were like liberated when mm-hmm. they were the Third Reich. Yeah. Like and so learning about the book burning like that, like they wanted, like, yeah those things that happened or, like afterwards. Mm-hmm. They weren't like, oh, we reject everything that the Third Reich was doing. Yeah. They still yeah. like wouldn't respect the like, people that were persecuted. Mm-hmm. Like that.
3: Yeah, like to exist in the Third Reich, you had to be somewhat complacent, like, or, or you would have been sent to, like, it just, like, you couldn't have existed in that time and not have been, like, a part of it in some way, so just their separation of, like, oh, it wasn't us, it's like, for you to still be alive in some yeah. way, they do not see you, oh which is, like, a hard choice, because then it's, like, well, yeah. should they have said something, because then they would have been sent away, but then it's, like, I feel like responsibility has to be taken, because it was a survival sort measure. Of and I think...
0: Definitely hearing both of those stories in both of those tours really showed to me how like focusing on certain narratives like doesn't necessarily make the story wrong, but like it inherently erases other voices. So like it just for me it just really showed like how people, especially coming to like Berlin on like walking tours and like doing touristy things, like you really have to like search for those other Parts of the narrative, Mm -hmm. and not just come in and like expect to learn everything from like one story. Mm Um, and I thought that was really important. And, and it really was shown with the book burning and then the stumbling stones and yeah. how we didn't even know that the identities weren't on there because of the homophobia of um, Jehovah Witness and radical Orthodox Jews. And I just thought, yeah. like, that just really blew my mind.
3: Yeah, that is, I, yeah, it's so interesting because that definitely wasn't, we've learned about the stumbling stones like earlier in the semester, we saw mm-hmm. them and we also learned about them. And then it was like very much focused on the Jewish narrative, and I don't think we even thought that, I mean personally I don't think I recognize that other victims of like Holocaust persecution were even had stones. And so like, so I was like so surprised that that was even a thing and then just like another level of the fact that they're not put, like the cost of the persecution is not put on there, it was just like a whole other level of that memorial that I think is so important to like know the complicated topic, it's like it wasn't just persecution after the blanket mm-hmm. state, it was like isolated persecution and like marginalization within the first
2: which is so hard to like justify that event. Event. I mean, after the Okay. okay.
0: Well, um, I'm going to read a little quote from one of the readings we had called Queer Injuries, the Racial Politics of Homophobic Hate Crime in Germany by Jen Hariteworn. Um And it goes, In Germany, hate crime activism arrived on a terrain that was from the start fundamentally racialized. It is the latest episode in a moral panic over homophobic migrants formed by the large gay organization since the late 1990s. If in the U.S. hate crime activism has been critiqued for its reliance on a criminal justice system that disproportionately targets people of color, in Germany there exists a hated population destined for incarceration. Migrants, formerly known as foreigners, and Turks or Arabs, who are increasingly interpolated through globalized notions of Islam. So, I was just wondering how um, you thought our experience in Kreuzberg in particular, um, as this conglomeration of multiple marginalized identities and communities, um, problematizes this conception of the hateful immigrant.
3: I feel like it definitely changed that for me and like, kind of like, presented an idea of like solidarity and marginalization instead of like, just continued like, marginalization within the marginalized, because I feel like there is, in that, In the rhetoric of like hate crime, it's very much just like immigrants versus everyone else, and like just problematizing them by saying like they're homophobic. So obviously, it's just another layer of why they're unacceptable, Mm -hmm. and it's just like using other marginalized groups against other marginalized groups. And leaders. I feel like it definitely was more of like these kids here together, they have for a long time, yeah. so this is an important part of the neighborhood. It like definitely just presented another story that
2: like is like so important. To consider. Like when when in class we were talking with Professor Lewis about how like she was asking like you have to question like why you're researching something or like why mm-hmm. someone's choosing that topic to mm-hmm. research or like so like people who as a like state they might be like homophobic or they might be like misogynistic or then turn around and say like oh is this group of people homophobic? Are they misogynistic? Are they this and this and this? And like regardless of whether or not, um, like regardless of the fact they assume like that like that's the case and use Yeah.
0: And I think um, another thing that really stood out for me was the emphasis on the the phrase and I don't know it in German but no one flees without a reason Mm -hmm. and I feel like that was really important and it really showed how like the intersections of all these marginalized groups and how they really come together for community support and like even talking about um how people in the community now like did some kind of poll where they said they wanted their kids to grow up around the tolerance Mm. and diversity and different things. And I think that like reading the article that we read it really did like show like problematize that Mm. image of the homophobic immigrant. But like actually being in the community for me like really just like drove
3: it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting because some migrants are like a part of the UI community and like just like the intersection that I feel like is so ignored by just like the hate crime rhetoric It's like there is an overlap between these two groups mm-hmm. and if you don't consider it just totally like erases it mm-hmm. And there was like there are lots of migrants that flee countries because of like homophobia in those mm-hmm. countries So I feel like that's just like a whole other level that we actually haven't heard very much about here But when I was in Holland, there's a lot of talk about it and it was just like interesting to like kind of come here and it's not it's very like migrants versus like the gay community it's like there's no i feel like there's not as much rhetoric about people like migrants are like, free because of homophobia and then they come here and like how they are interacting with both these and i think jared
0: even talked about that um talking about a banner i think that they had in front of the so 36 saying mm-hmm. like like i can't remember the exact words but like Queer people are welcome, Arabs mm-hmm. are welcome, like migrants are welcome, but it didn't acknowledge like the intersections of those groups. Yeah. Like you can be a part of all of those groups, and it's they're not just like separated. Yeah.
2: Um. And to how, in in my reading how um, he was, like the author was talking about kiss-ins that happen like in front of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just like thinking about that when we were in Crow's book. Like what? What, like, if that was happening there, like, what ideas would that be implanting in LGBTIQ? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, maybe if they weren't worried before, if they weren't, like, anti migrant before, then when I see this, are they, like, well, should we be worried? Yeah. Like, is that spreading fear? Like, in what ways is that spreading fear, even in places that already might not, or, like, might have less of a problem? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
3: And I just feel like those putting them against each other just also just very whitewashes the LGBTQI me yeah. and like making them seem like they're all like white gay that yeah. like need to be protected against like racialized migrant groups and just like it just simplifies the narrative down to things that like just aren't true almost like in like in so many ways but just like makes the true group so simple. It's like the, sim- like the one narrative is never complex enough to just view it of, like the entire
2: story.
0: Yeah.
3: And like this narrative definitely is so problematic. And I feel like I've never, I've heard about it before, but reading that article definitely like, m- like shows me a lot of things I see that I was like, wow, that's anti-migrant, but then it like adds a whole other level of yeah. like, why in a way that's like so hard because like, I feel like we have so many people who are like, oh my God, homophobia is horrible. Like if there's any like, that should be fought against, but then just like, there's complex issues with it and like you can't just like put the migrant group as like the enemy because like homophobia is a part of society in general. You can't just like, make it like oh it's their problem mm-hmm. and they're the one bringing it in and everyone else is totally fine.
2: Mm-hmm. Like with the Armenian Jewish Antifa, have been talking about how in Israel like all of a sudden they wanted to seem very of the TIQ mm-hmm. when that wasn't really the case and there was like and hadn't been the focus beforehand, but when they could use it as a tool mm-hmm. the other people yeah. that are already oppressing, mm-hmm. then it's like that the state is suddenly the champions mm-hmm.
3: of uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like a political maneuver rather than like an actual stance.
2: Yeah.
0: I think that's All I had to ask you guys, this was a really good discussion. Thank you so much. I just want to say again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And don't forget to check out all the other podcasts about our time here in Berlin on the Femme Geniuses website.